Gorgeous George and Goes, are you ready? Junkie Nation, are you ready? Well, let's get it on. From the fight capital of the world, Las Vegas, Nevada, this is MMA Junkie Radio. We roll it! What is going on, Junkie Nation? Gorgeous George and Goes reporting for duty here on a Monday morning. Excited to talk to you for the next hour or so as we discuss the latest in mixed martial arts. Lots going on this past weekend. We had a Bellator card out in Paris, France. And, of course, the UFC on ABC card in Charlotte, North Carolina. So we'll go over that. We'll go over some of the latest news since last we last checked in on you uh, this past Thursday. Let us set things up, and we'll be right back to start the show. All right, so this is one of those times that we will go in order. We'll start off with Bellator. We'll give them a little bit of love. Bellator 296 took place on Friday morning. Remember, I had given you guys those warnings that this bad boy was going to start around noon Eastern, uh, you know, because of the time change. Sorry, uh, 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern for the main card. But with the prelims on MMA Junkie, you could catch those earlier. Those were at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. And let's see here. Some of the names that you probably want to hear about. Tim Wilde defeated Chris Gonzalez on the prelims. And... Uh, Denise Kilholtz defeated Paula Christina. Saul Rogers took an L against Davey Galone, or actually it was really more of a no contest. And then on the main card, the Volt Guti, who a lot of people are high on, he defeated Kane Masua. Douglas Lima moves up to middleweight and defeats Costello Van Stinas. Brett Primus, former champion uh, over at Bellator. Remember him and Michael Chandler had a one-off or you know, they went 1-1. He defeated Mansoor Barnawi. And in the main event, Fabian Edwards beats Gegard Musasi 49-46, 49-46, 49-46. Consistent 4-1. Big win for the sibling of the UFC uh, welterweight champ, Leon Edwards. Um, this guy fights at middleweight. So, any thoughts on the Bellator card, goes before we start talking about UFC on ABC? You know, I thought it was pretty fun. Whenever they're in one of these territories, you know, that doesn't get a lot of love. Um, I thought with Leon Edwards um, being kind of like something that they can promote in a way, right? Like, you know, we got his brother, we got Fabian. Um, I was a little sad because I'm a big gay guard Musasi fan. He's always been very entertaining to watch. He rarely has like a crap fight. He uh, always brings it. But, you know, some of our heroes are getting a little older, right? And in the UFC, we talk about how there's very few pride fighters left. Gegard Musasi had a fight in pride, you know, and he's over at Bellator. Um, he's going to have to figure out what he wants to do going forward here. But uh, I thought that was a pretty decent card for Bellator. How about you? Yeah, it was okay. I had it on mute uh, for most of the time as I was either doing work or, you know, just basically keeping an eye on it until we got to the main card. Then the main card I watched, I let it start, and then I kind of caught up to it a little bit. But, yeah, it's just father time can be very cruel to a lot of fighters. Um, Prime Gegard Musasi, I think, obviously does a lot better than what we saw. Johnny Eblen, I think, snatched his soul a little bit. Well, even going back a few years when um, when he lost the title the first time to Rafael Lovato, he finally came back and he put together a win streak against Leona Machida, Douglas Lima, John Salter, Austin Vander, Vanderford. And that was pretty remarkable because, again, he's been doing this for like two decades. And... Um, so now, you know, Evelyn, I think, is just one of those guys that can snatch your soul, and that's what happened here uh, a few months ago. And then Fabian Edwards is just kind of finishing finishing the job. You know, that's kind of how it can happen for these guys. 
he's 37 years of age. In August, he'll be 38. And it's a look, Matt Brown just got to win. I get it at 42, right? Um, and it's not like he doesn't have wear and tear, but sometimes it's just the matchup, you know. And Fabian Edwards is coming from a gym that's actually been doing really, really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, as of late, they carry and- momentum. They, those gyms mm-hmm. can carry momentum. We've seen it all the time. For sure, yeah. Um, I don't think Musasi will. I think what he should do is legend fights going forward. Mm-hmm. So, like when he fought Lyoto Machida, I thought that was pretty cool. Um, but if he wants to fight, you know, these young cats that are basically the future, I don't see him regaining the title. It's not even Fabian Edwards that holds the title. It's Johnny. I, I don't see him beating Johnny Eblum. So at this point, maybe maybe he fights Romero. If Romero's not successful against Vadim Nemkov in June, then maybe a, a fight against Romero, something where two legends just get to mix it up, that I could buy into, you know. But but I think the end is pretty much near for, for Gerard Musasi. Yeah, it's getting there. But you're right. I mean, there is still some interest. I don't know what Bellator, you know, if every time he goes out there and fights, they're just breaking the bank and that's the thing that we're always talking about with Bellator is we want every card to kind of mean something to have not just your top fight, but give us, you know, three fights at least to kind of talk about. And if you're paying one guy a shit ton of money, maybe what you can do is take a salary like that and just give us some names, you know, sign some names that every time when we tune in, which I think PFL does kind of a good job of, you know, right? Like, uh, you look down that card and, and you'll see like a Jeremy Stevens or something like that. If you can sign some of these guys to kind of help out from card to card, I think you'll you'll make people happy. But uh, I really don't know what a gay guard Musasi makes. What happened to that rumor that they were going to sell and that PFL might snatch them up? Or I've heard that too, but I don't, I don't think there's much to it. They just recently re-signed Chris Cyborg. I don't think they would bother with that. Mm-hmm. If they had plans on closing up shop, but that was some big news from Bellator. And of course, if I wanted to fight Kat Zingano, who's 4-0 since moving from the UFC to Bellator and fighting at 145, she's won four fights. A few of them have been split decisions. They've been close, but she's winning and she's a name. However, her and, her and Chris seem to butt heads a lot on social media. We're waiting on you. No, we're waiting on you. We're waiting on you. I can't see how Cyborg wouldn't understand that we are waiting on her. She was a free agent, but now that she is there, I guess we will be waiting on whoever it is. But these two are also poking at each other with performance-enhancing drugs and additional testing that might be needed. So Kat Zinganu has always been a gamer. She's tough. She finds a way to win, but I'm not sure I like her chances, man. Um, she struggled a little bit in her last fight. Size mattered, and Chris is as big as her last opponent, um, but way more deadlier. So my early lean is obviously Chris Tyborg, one of the greatest to ever do it. But I can't say that Kat doesn't deserve her spot there. She, Like I say, she's done everything that's been asked, and she's very, very popular, so I think it's a very sellable fight for them. Now, if Cat were to get the takedown, I'd like to see how they would do grappling for sure. Cat's um, top game is pretty damn impressive, but you know, like I say, Chris is just a, a, a specimen, man. Yeah, you can never count out Cat Zinganu, but um, it would just be really, really tough—a tough, uh, a tough fight for her. Um, even Sarah McMahon, you know. Uh, there, there are girls that she can fight that are going to make it interesting. Uh, obviously, the fight that I think everybody would have wanted to see even more than Kayla is a rematch with Amanda Nunes, but that's just not going to happen. And um, even Kayla Harrison, when you think about it, like if she comes over, when her contract's up or whatever, she comes over to Bellator, yes, Kayla Harrison and Chris Cyborg is a fun fight, something we would want to see. But what do we have past that? You know, if Kayla doesn't beat her, because if she beats her, there's an obvious rematch. But if Cyborg beats her, I don't know that people would be clamoring for an immediate rematch. 
So I don't know what you would have then after with a Kayla Harrison, but it is a fight that uh, you have to give girls those girls props because they're they're kind of building it on their own, right? And that's pretty cool. Uh, but I think that this was the right move for for Chris Cyborg. Now I'm just a little surprised. Like, I, you know, hopefully we could talk to her soon and we can just find out like what else was on the table because um, time, right? Time is money. I gotta imagine PFL was up there. I would think like maybe boxing or something, you know. But she did box know. a couple times. Yeah, but maybe like so a, maybe Bellator gave her that flexibility because they're with Showtime, and so that's still there. Whereas PFL probably would have wanted to either lock her up for the season or a super super fight on the pay per view series against Kayla Harrison and that Dan Davis and Peter Murray, one of those two guys, Don Davis, I forget. I remember one of them saying, yeah, a million each, a million to the winner, bonus, or he was throwing some money around. So Bellator must have come pretty strong or just gave her those avenues of her being able to box, and that was just too attractive to turn down. But it, like I mentioned on Spinning Backlick that we recorded earlier, the fact that Nunez, Harrison, and Cyborg, we haven't gotten a fight from them since the Nunez-Cyborg fight and there's been three attempts at free agency, two from Cyborg and one from Kayla. It's just disappointing to me as an MMA fan. You know what's funny is, I don't know if you noticed, but in that chat room, um, when we did spinning back, like, somebody wrote, man, nobody cares about these old ladies. <laughs> I didn't see that. It's funny because I get it. Look, I've jumped into chats and I'm trying to get the attention of the host or whoever. So I'll say something ridiculous. It's just called trolling, right? But we just didn't have the time, and frankly, if I see you kind of pop in and I don't see your name a lot, I'm just probably going to turn the page. If I see you in there a lot and I notice you may be trolling, but you're in there, you're supporting, then I might give you some love. But the only thing I would have wanted to tell this fella is, well, check this out, partner. At Bellator in L.A., I thought one of the cool moments of the night goes was when Chris sat in the Fedor Emelianenko press conference and he told her, hey, I just want to tell you, you're one of the reasons I got in MMA. I've always been a fan. And Fedor smiled and then he told her, well, I'm a fan of your fights. And yeah. she just gushed, you know, she was like, I mean, fuck, these are two, you know, legends of the game and but I thought that was cool that he said that to her. And then they took a picture and all that. So I would tell that guy, hey, maybe no one cares. Maybe you're right. Maybe literally no one on earth cares. But if Fedor tells you he watches your fight and he's a fan. You mean something. The only person that ever told me that, I I would die happy. Yeah, you got to mean something at that point. That was a really cool moment. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, even like when... Bellator does a good job, man, of like certain things. But even when they brought everybody into the cage, you know, all them former champions and, you know, should've a lot of them, Cyborg, yeah. they should have brought Cyborg in. A lot of them never even fought in Bellator at any point, but it was just cool to have them. And that that's kind of like, if you're a fighter, you got to see like, that's how you treat people you appreciate, right? You do mm -hmm. those types of things. I'm sure it wasn't cheap to get, you know, a Matt Hughes to fly across the country and, and sit in, and they had quite a few of these guys. Henzo Gracie, I think Mark Coleman was there. Uh, that's not cheap, but that's kind of that's how they show the importance of what's actually happening. And I, I do feel like maybe they dropped the ball a little bit by not having Cyborg. She's so close. She actually brought her belt. She was walking around with her belt. I think they could have brought her in there. And did you see when she went upstairs and took pics with fans upstairs as well at the forum? It's divided by two. And so usually they work that area where they have the uh, VIPs, I guess, or, you know, they're inside the, the actual cage before you even get to row one. So they'll do stuff there with fans that have paid for those tickets. And then you mm -hmm. might, you know, go to a concession or something, but it's all kind of done on the first floor. And she thought, well, I see people shouting my name on the second floor. So she went up to the second floor and took pictures up there for a while. So Super I just cool. love I love what she did for the fans in that regard. And I sent her a nice message on Mother's Day because she adopted 
uh, young lady and uh, posted it. And so she deserved that shout out as well. But um, anyway, moving on from that, she signed with Bellator. Zingano, look, she, it's not like Zingano's a tomato can. She's beating Raquel Pennington. She's beating Misha Tate. And like you pointed out, a lot of people don't know this. She's beating Amanda Nunes. Amanda Nunes, up until the Pena fight, had never lost in the UFC except for one time against Kat Zingano. And Zingano has moved to 145 at Bellator, and she's beaten Leo McCourt and Pam Sorensen, and both of them have been ranked. Now, I may have said split decisions. They've been close decisions, but they've all been unanimous decisions. So I just wanted to clarify that. That probably is the fight to make. Sarah McMahon, I suppose, could weasel her way. That's probably a, a terrible way of saying it. She could finagle her way in if Cat plays a little bit of hardball because she is a name. She's a former Olympian, and she looked good in her debut at Bellator. So I could see her maybe, you know, jumping in there if Cat plays a little bit of too hardball. But mm -hmm. um, for sure, I want to see Cyborg fight at least them too. And there's talk of maybe Kayla becoming a free agent yet again, completely free, and now being able to come over to Bellator, um, which is great. But at the same time, I think Kayla would do outstanding in the UFC as well. Now, the UFC has a featherweight division that's just on life support. It's Amanda. And, I mean, they would have trouble coming up with a band, honestly. Um, you know, what's a band? Like four or five members? Amanda would be the singer, and she might have a drummer and a guitarist, and that's it. There's just not many of them. And it doesn't look like they're filling, you know, the cupboards with any more talent, you occasionally see a matchup. So I don't know what's eventually going to happen. I think that when Amanda goes away, it goes away. Mm -hmm. And frankly, sure. if they were to bring Adam weight and trade Adam weight for, for featherweight, I'd probably be down. But we don't know. We don't know what's going to happen. And if Amanda's still there and they stock the shelves, like I said, then maybe Kayla looks at that as an option. But if not, maybe she does go over to uh, Bellator and, and throws down against Cyborg. If if that all happens, though, so that's three fights, right? That would be an interesting end of 2023 and beginning of 2024. You know, those are three fights that I would tune in for. It'd be historic because no matter what, you know, Zinganu, McMahon, they've been title challengers. They both lost to Ronda Rousey. And... Then Kayla, like that's three big names to add to her resume. I've always found it difficult to say that I can rank Cyborg above Amanda, but Cyborg's only lost twice. Her first fight ever, then she won like 30 straight, and then uh, Nunes, right? Nunes has lost five. Cyborg's only lost twice, but Nunes has beaten Cyborg. Clear finish. You know, and Nunes has won two titles in the UFC. So it's kind of tough for Cyborg to ever reclaim that spot unless there's some sort of a round robin somewhere, you know. Um, I suppose you could throw a round robin of if she beats Kazingana, she beats someone who beats Nunes. Yeah, but usually round robins are a little bit more pertinent and relevant when they involve when all three are at the same level, and I would say right now Kat's at a lower level than the other two because she's never, you know, held a title and she has a few more losses. But, you know, I suppose Cyborg could play that angle. Cyborg does have those four belts that are very, it's very impressive. And she's got like, I think, 11 title defenses, which is four more than Amanda Nunes. So maybe she can add to it. Who knows? Anyway, we got to move on. Uh, that was Bellator, the big signing of Chris Cyborg, and or re-signing, I should say. And then, of course, Fabian Edwards taking out Gay Garden with Sassy in the main event. In the UFC on Saturday, it was UFC on ABC for Rosenstruck versus Almeida. But before we get to that, let's talk about some of the fights on the undercard. Those some good moments, goes. Uh, good friend of the show, although we haven't seen her in a while, Jessica Rose Clark took another L. I think that's three in a row for her. She lost to Tainara Lisboa. Fun fight to watch. Lisboa actually made an impression on me, man. I can't wait for her next fight. She can throw hands or she can grapple. Yeah, the UFC has quite a few of these fighters that uh, have kind of spread it out as of late. And they, they get these wins over fighters that, unfortunately, you know, Jessica Rose Clark 
she says all the things you want to hear, you know, in a loss, she'll be back. She's going to, and she doesn't, she doesn't come off as a person that doesn't train. You know, I think she does train, um, but something has to be done because some of these fights, like in this particular fight, she did everything she would have wanted her to, you know, like they stood and they, they banged for a while. She didn't go her way. So, um, it was a fun fight, though. Man, that cut was horrible. That was nasty. Mm-hmm. And this is her third loss in a row by submission. So we know she can throw down. But even in this contest, Liz Boa lit her up there, too. So mm-hmm. I don't know if she survives a cut. She's, I believe, three and six in the UFC. Uh, not too many, Not too many fighters get past something like that once you're under 500 like you know you're doomed but again three losses in a row by submission we'll see but i don't know i don't know if she can survive it i'm not saying i want her to get cut but um following the sport that's usually what can happen brian battle lit up gabe green i mean he's the hometown guy from charlotte north carolina and he was very emotional he got the crowd going and he handled him quick. They just, I mean, they just slugged it out. It looked like the last 10 seconds of Holloway and Llamas. Yeah, it reminded me of uh, Guida and um, and Diego. You know, they just stood there, didn't even move their feet and were just throwing. I, you know, I think we, we, we had a conversation about this, about how frustrating it must be to like, as a coach, to put in an entire camp and strategy and then just have your fighter come out and do that. You know, one of those guys, only one of them is going to come out of a mess like that. It's a cartoon fight. Uh, for Brian Battle, yeah, it's it's a good win. It's it's a good highlight. But the thing that people are going to talk about is the the weight, you know, the miss. That sucks. I think he's still got his bonus, though, right? I think his bonus, did. yeah. Yeah, so that doesn't I really happen. Make that exception. I mean, I don't, I, I'm not going to hate on it, you know, but maybe there was something behind the scenes. I'll have to read up and see what, what that was about. But I did see that he got paid his you know, mm-hmm. his bonus. Mandy Wong defeated Ji Yoon Kim. Kim got penalized twice. One for a shove that she gave her at the end of the round between, uh, I think it was rounds one and two or something like that. And then she got another one for kicking a down opponent, striking a down opponent, which you're not allowed to do. She need her, actually. Folks, pay attention to this, what I'm about to say. Because, and I'm not going to act like I'm some expert or nothing like that. I recently only found this out myself. But this is what happened. In this fight, Baum won two judges' scorecards 10-9 in round one. Kim won the the three judges' scorecards in round two. So, you basically had um, one judge that had it Kim 2-0 going into round three. But two judges had it 1-1 going into uh, round three. And here's what happened. I know that when you knee someone, it can be called an illegal strike, which means Kim would be disqualified. But a referee can determine that although it was an illegal strike, which it was, that's why they're stopping the action and resetting them or whatever, it was unintentional. If they say it's unintentional, then once it's in round three, they'll judge rounds one, two, and three, even though round three was only a couple of minutes in. They judge it. And um, But remember, Kim had those two points taken away. So that's why you got those weird-ass scores that you got. If they had said it was intentional and illegal, then it would have been a disqualification it doesn't go to the judges scorecards and bomb wins because bomb from the very beginning was i think she was saying i can't see she kept saying from this side i just can't see it's a blur i'm seeing double who knows she was not going to continue um but but that's why i went to the judges scorecards but i kept seeing online it's an illegal strike it should be a disqualification it can be an illegal strike can be a disqualification but it has to do whether it was intentional or not so what i'm thinking that the referee thought and he probably had the assistance of watching the replay, or at least another referee watched the replay and, and told him what he saw, him or her. Um, when she threw the knee, she may have been just trying to hit her in the shoulder, you know, because it went mm-hmm. past the shoulder and it hit her in the face. 
And if that's what they determined, then it wasn't his her intent to knee her in the face. She just wound up doing this. So she she does have to take some accountability for that. Now, a lot of people thought Kim won the first two rounds. So believe it or not, when they went to the third, if she wins the first two, she's up 2018. Now take away the two points, it's 1818. But because they judged round three, and some people thought Kim won that, a lot of people actually thought, holy cow, Kim is still going to get her hand raised. And that's why one judge had it for Kim, but the other two had it for Mom. But just remember that if it's an illegal strike, the referee can still determine that it wasn't intentional. And if it's already reached round three, they'll go to the judge's scorecards. If they haven't, it'll be a no contest. If he says it's intent, he or she says it's intentional and illegal, obviously, then they disqualify. So in the Peter Yan Algerine Sterling fight, there was, I mean, if you remember, it was they were facing each other. So there was no like, well, I didn't mean to hit him there because he actually gunned for him. You know what I mean? He mm -hmm. gunned for that. And so that's why that happened in that fight. Anyway, just thought I would throw that your guys' way. Yeah, and uh, moving on, Douglas Silva, DeAndrage against Cody Stamen. That one hurt. We know the kid very well. He's been to our house to do a watch-along. He's been to the studio to do a watch-along. We see him all the time. We chat with him all the time. And in round three, he hurt DeAndrage. He's even admitted it. Instead of following him to the ground, he should have told him to get up and just maybe put it on him and see if he could have finished him. I think there was a good chance he could have, but you never know. But the problem is DeAndrage, and this is supported by the significant strike count, won the first two rounds, and I had a feeling that that was the case, even though one of them was kind of close. So I had a feeling Stamen really needed to finish, not just to win round three. So that's why I didn't see this like some sort of a robbery or anything. Now, Stamen is saying there was a, a breakup in the action that didn't get him to a favorable position, and I got to go back and, and look at that. Because I know there's a cancellation of positioning and points and stuff. And I was distracted by NHL, NBA as I'm watching this. So um, I, I didn't get the full effect of that. The only thing I saw was a guy that was up 2 nothing, lose the third round. And so he won two rounds to one. But gutted for Cody Stamen. That guy has been really, really working hard. And he looked pretty good in this fight, especially when he almost got the finish. I want to go back and watch it again because watching it real time, um, I was keeping track, you know, in between when they're going to read the uh, the decision. I remember as soon as the fight was over, I remember hearing you say, this might not go his way. And then I, I remember like text messages and tweets. There were a lot of people that were saying that, you know, and I think like if this were maybe like pride or something like that, one championship, then I think Cody gets the decision. But, um, you know, rounds are rounds. There's a reason why they're judged per round like that. And I'd want to go back and see uh, if there's a case for Cody Stamen. But, uh, yeah, if you even, like, if you tune into his social media and all that, like, he was not happy. And um, you sometimes you have to go back and watch it and realize what, what actually happened. Like, who was it? He did admit to the mistake that he probably shouldn't have gone to the ground with him. Mm -hmm. But he also provided a good explanation on it you know and you can't really argue that like, you just thought I, I thought i could finish him i thought i could submission submit him and he you know he went for it he just he, it was a blunder he made a mistake but at the core of the mistake was just his belief in himself and it's hard to, to blame somebody for that i would only say and i hate to sound like a twat you know because i don't want to come at the guy but I'm looking at his record here. He doesn't have many submission wins. That's not to say he doesn't have a formidable game. But uh, in the UFC, he hasn't submitted anyone. So going to the ground, that's what, like, Damian Maya, someone, you know, Charles Oliveira, like someone that when they get on you, you're in a heap of trouble because you're fighting off these submissions. I could see maybe that. But um, it, it, and that's not the case with Cody Stamen. And even then, here's the deal. I use this an as an example a lot, but I think it still stands. Remember the movie Gladiator when Commodus stabs uh, the Spaniard, you know, uh, in the rib cage. it looks like, right? So then when they go out to fight, 
Russell Crowe can barely stand because he's jacked up. He's bleeding profusely. He took a couple stab wounds, but he has enough fighting skills that he still is able to kill Commodus, right? So poor example because the right guy, you know, the, the, the hero wins. But, you know, he obviously would have had an easier time had he not gotten stabbed. Well, that's how I look at this on the takedown, or sorry, the knockdown. You knock down D'Andrage, so when he stands up, he's not going to be the same. Now, if you were able to do it when he was fully functioning, why wouldn't you be able to repeat, rinse and repeat, and do it when he's wobbly and hurting? That's mm -hmm. my point. Because if you die to the ground, unless you have one of those decorated grappling games, you know, like an Diaz or someone like that, that, that really knows how to attack you and go after you with all kinds of submissions, then you're basically allowing that person to grab you and recover. And then when you get up, now they've cleared the cobwebs and maybe they got enough to get to the end of the round, which is what DeAndrage did because he just needed to get to the end of the fight, you know, because the yeah. two rounds were banked. And now I don't know if he was cognizant of that in the fight or whatever, but that's basically all he needed to do was his, the, the, the time was his alley. The clock was his ally. So, um, I don't know. I don't know what to say other than I, I, you know, he admitted kind of to the mistake, and I think that's just kind of what it was. He just said it's only get up. I think so. Moving on, Carl Williams defeats Chase Sherman. Matt Brown defeats Court McGee. Whew. Matt Brown threw his punch after McGee started throwing his. He had power and he had speed and he had timing and he clocked them. He ties the record for most KOs with Derek Lewis. Says he wants to come back for maybe one more fight and see if he can break that record. You know, I would say Derek Lewis has a lot of fight left in him, so there's a good chance Derek might tie you and break it. Don't come back for just that. If you want to come back because you want to keep fighting and you can do it, hey, you're coming off a win. Who are we to say no? You know what I mean? Um, especially if you're getting some good paychecks and you're healthy and your body's holding up and your brain cells are all there. Great, but that also would have been a good way to say sayonara, everybody, if he was entertaining retirement. Yeah, right, right matchups. Um, he's still a guy that when I see his name on a card, I get excited. I get excited about a Matt Brown fight. So there is some value to that. If he gets the right matchups, yeah, but um, I also don't want to see him get his, his clock clean for no reason either, so... Yeah, it just depends where he's at financially with his family. He talks about just, you know, how happy he is when he's in there and how happy he's not when he's when he's not in there. So I don't know. Uh, I have no problem, though, if we see him again. Yeah. And, you know, he had the quote, a quote that I'd never heard of. I mean, I guess when you think about it, it makes sense. But he said, man, in 30 seconds, I'm going to exit. Hey, this is me paraphrasing. I don't have the exact quote. But he said something along the lines of, of course, he's happy, but he knows that in 30 seconds he's going to exit the octagon and he's just not going to be feeling like he's feeling at that moment. But, you know, you, the come down is hard, but that moment is very euphoric. No, Yogi. Sorry, Jack Russell Terrier getting into it. It's okay. Um, but, uh, yeah, like that, I thought about that. And for these fighters that have said this is the greatest feeling ever, even better than childbirth and relations with their ladies and anything else <laughs> it really sounds like it with a way when you when you describe it like that that once you leave the cage holy cow you're just back to being a a normal human being that has to crap and pay taxes like the yeah, rest for of sure congratulations to him as i'm halfway through talking about this card here are some interesting stats by the way the attendance was in charlotte north carolina 18,712. They hadn't been there like in four years, apparently. And this was on ABC, so hopefully they drew a good number. The gate was $2,090,000. Betting favorites were 7 and 4 on the card. Betting favorites improved to 9 and 7 in headliners this year. So underdogs have been holding their own. But these are just some things you can get from. The post-event facts article that's done by Mike Vaughn. Check it out. I think you'll dig it. That's why I was trying to find this quote that Matt Brown had said. But if I can find it, I'll give it to you guys. But it was something like that, and I thought it was really, really interesting. One anyway, of our, I was going to say, one of our listeners was there live, and he said 
he said it was popping. Like the crowd was really into it, even when some of the fights weren't their best. It just felt like he said it had like a pay per view vibe to it. I could believe that. They had a I lot mean, of people. The sport hasn't been back in a while, and it's delivering these kind of uh, highlights. Because look, we had Matt Brown's KO was pretty amazing. The Williams Sherman fight went to a decision, but it was actually pretty good. DeAndre Stamen was nuts. That was a great mm-hmm. fight, actually. Um, Baum and Kim slowed things down. It took them a while to add, do the math and everything, and so that kind of took a little bit out of it. Brian Battle, local guy, he got himself a finish. Lisboa finished Jessica Rose Clark. So right away, the prelims served up the main card for success, you know. Yeah. And then we get to that part. Alex Morano defeats Tim Means, submission there. Carlos Alberg smashes Eor Pateria. Uh, Ian Machado Gary, same thing. He delivers that shin to um, Daniel Rodriguez's neck, and then he finishes him. So you got another one there. Johnny Walker versus Anthony Smith. I was kind of on the edge of my seat because both guys can really throw down, but in the end, we got a decision win. Um, there was some good action. There was some good punches. Um, but then you had Jelton Almeida finishing Jarzina Rosenstruck. So they had finishes. So I could see the crowd being into that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are we going to get to that Smith-Walker fight? Well, let's talk about a little bit as we work our way through the card. Uh, just any thoughts on Morano versus Means and Alberg versus Potaria? Man, Tim Means is so much fun to watch, dude. That's a guy that uh that okay, so look, that that's kind of the type of guy where instead of giving so much money to one guy at Bellator, pick up a few Tim Means here and there. Those type of guys, those type of fighters that bring it, uh your Lorenz Larkins of the world, right? Like put when those guys pop up on the card, I wanna watch. That was a really, really fun fight, man. Yeah, for sure. Means has earned that. He just likes the violence, you know. But Murano mm-hmm. was just better. Um, congrats to him. And Altberg is out of that city kickboxing gym that's delivered some good fighters like Kai Carl France and Dan Hooker and, of course, Israel Adesanya. And now he's starting to smash a little bit, you know. Um, this was light heavyweight division that was going to feature Anthony Smith and – Johnny Walker later on, but I was like thinking, give give Oldberg the winner, I guess, because that, that's really how great of an impression he made on me. Moving on, up in the card, Ian Machado Gary goes, he's, you know, I wasn't sure about this guy, but he's looking better and better. He looks very accurate. He's like a sniper out there. Well, I'm still not really too sure about him. I mean, I think there's a lot that can happen with this kid. I think they can mold him in the right direction. But you got to be careful. You know, I just don't know. Um, He's got a lot of hype, and rightfully so. He shows a lot, a lot of potential. But when you look at that division and you just see the killers that are there, if you look at his skill set right now, I don't know that we're really saying, move over, everybody, here he comes, right? I I think we just all kind of look at him and say, hey, we might have something here. But that clay has got to be molded into something a little bit more, I think, before we can all uh, start talking about those types of praises. Yeah, I hear you. But at least he's smashing. He's smashing. So he might not be taking out the top five guys or whatever, but he is smashing. I thought this was going to be more competitive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Good finish, though. That head Johnny kick. Johnny Walker and Anthony Smith, I think a lot of people are talking about just Anthony Smith. He looked a little slower out there, you know, and um, Walker uh, didn't really finish the job in terms of he looked like he had defined himself as the better of the two. He had some leg kicks going on, he, some jumping knee attacks. He was throwing hands, using the reach. Every once in a while, Anthony Smith, who didn't give up and showed a, the heart of a lion, for sure, lion heart. Um, he was throwing an overhand right that would connect from time to time that made us believe, okay, he might still be able to pull this out. But um, in the end, Johnny Walker gets the dub. He didn't get the finish. But a lot of people were concerned about um, a part of the fight where Anthony Smith was saying, uh, you're, try- you're trying to hurt my family or you hurt my family or something like that. And they're trying to connect that to an incident a few years ago when someone broke into Anthony Smith's house and Anthony had to subdue him, but Anthony said he had his hands full. He said that guy could fight. 
Um, and so, you know, some of you are claiming PTSD or maybe he was just so out of it and so rocked that he was brought back to that time. Or maybe like Ben Rothwell has told us, Ben Rothwell keeps saying, you're trying to hurt my wife and I'm not going to let you do it. He's just psyching himself into a situation where it feels like he's fighting for something. It could just be that. But what did you think of the fight? What did you think of that little subplot? I think um, I think there's something to what Ben Rothwell's saying. I think maybe it was just motivation. You know, you, you're trying to take uh, food off our table. You're trying to hurt my family, you know, that sort of thing. I don't think it, it really has to do with, with PTSD or anything. Anthony does a lot of things outside of mixed martial arts where um, I think something like that may have would have probably popped up uh, throughout some of his work as a broadcaster for the UFC or podcasts. I've never really seen that happen. So I think it was just something that uh, a way of looking at things that maybe motivated him. Now hearing Johnny Walker kind of go, what? Like, you know, that, that was, uh, it was very confusing, but yeah, I don't, I don't think too much into it, but as far as the fight goes, I don't blame Johnny Walker for fighting that way. You know, it wasn't that long ago that we were all saying, no, you big dummy, you got all this potential, but you're just way over aggressive. You're going down there with your chin out. Um, I think he can find a middle ground between that guy and the guy that showed up fighting Anthony Smith, but it's going to take time to develop that. But for now, um, I think that's a good skin on the wall. Anthony Smith, I actually thought Anthony Smith was going to beat him, but uh, I, I was wrong. I, if Anthony Smith, if Anthony Smith um, fought, if he were to strike like he struck against Glover Teixeira, mm-hmm. he looked really sharp that fight. But that was a few years ago, and Glover and obviously Walker have different frames, right? Like you got to get through a long reach to get to Walker, but they both can thump you as well. But yeah, I remember Anthony looked good. The only problem is he also he also put so much into every strike that he got tired. But um, I, I you know, like I say, he is getting a little bit older. Every fight takes something out of you. Um, as a possible title challenger, I don't see that for Anthony Smith. I don't see no. championship days ahead of him, but I still see him as a top 10, top 15 light heavyweight who, if he wants to continue cashing checks, I'll continue watching. Mm-hmm. I can agree with that. Yeah. Man, I tried really hard, goes to find that quote from Matt Brown, but I can't find it. But he said the saddest, something about the saddest thing about this fight is in 30 seconds when I leave the octagon. It really baffled me to hear that, like, just, you know, because I bet you he said what a lot of fighters are feeling, like, man, this is awesome, but as soon as I stepped out of the octagon, like, we're back to square one, you know, like, I'm just a regular dude, I cash my check, then the body starts hurting the next day, I gotta ice it, I'm 42, and then I gotta decide if I wanna fight and go through a training camp just to give back to this one moment, you know, he basically summed it up that way. Mm-hmm. Celebrated nicely, though, with some five guys. That's being a regular guy, right? What'd he do? Eating, he smashed a five guys burger. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was really cool to see. Um, by the way, I'm just curious because Conor McGregor said he's going to claim the all time USC knockout record. I think he was inspired by Matt Brown and seeing that statistic. Of course, this guy's yet to get in the Sada pool. He's yet to commit to the Chandler fight. Um, but let's see here. McGregor, has, I'm trying to see how many. He, he has eight knockouts. But these other guys are like sitting at 13 or 14, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, 13, man. He just tied Derek Lewis. So McGregor would have to win his next five fights just to get to 13. And he'd have to win them all by KO, which he does have heavy hands. It's not like mm-hmm. he's a submission machine. He doesn't go to many decisions. But what he hasn't been doing lately is winning. It's not realistic, I don't think. Yeah. He definitely knows how to throw a quote out there and get people talking about it because guess what? You and I are talking about it. Anyway, um, in the main event, Jailton Almeida defeated Jarzinho Rosenstruck. Right away, I could tell Jarzinho came in heavier. He just looked heavier and flabbier. He did stuff one takedown early where it looked like Jailton ran into a fire hydrant. And I thought, oh, shit, he's been putting in some work. But uh, the next time he got him down and J- um, Rosenstruck just had nothing for him. He did get his back to the cage, and I thought maybe he'd you know, get an underhook and find a way to get up. 
But again, that's tougher when you got a big old belly and you're just not, you know, I think Rosen struck 10, 20 pounds, 10, 15 pounds lighter. It, it would be better served for him. Um, he was going through certain motions where he was trying to either grab a hold of his wrist, tie him up, get to the end of the round. He was listening to his coaches, but eventually he made the big mistake of giving up his back. Yeah, that was uh, that was not one of his better performances. And that's the thing, like, that's kind of the knock on Jorginho is like some days you look at him and you go, holy crap, dude, this guy can bang. And then other days you look at him and things just don't work out. And I don't know if that's a, a mental thing or a physical thing because he trains with guys and he trains at a gym where that's almost uh, impossible to not get better. You know, you're surrounded by so much talent. So we'll have to see where, where he goes here with this part of his, his career and see where he's at in his contract. But uh, he, he needs what he needs is consistency. And he, he just mm-hmm. doesn't provide that. I want to see him against another banger. Like Taito Ivasa, I think lost two in a row. Put those guys together. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. All right. Um, so, Jailton, by the way, is 5-0 since Dana White Contender Series in 2021. This guy's 19-2 and overall. People need to start talking about him like the same way they've been talking about Tom Massenall and Sergei Pavlovich. This guy's the truth, and he's got a, a weapon, man. That ground game is something else. So keep an eye on him. The only other stuff that kind of went down, I guess, this past weekend um, was – you know, Dana White still doesn't have a date for Chandler versus McGregor, like we talked about. Goes, what do you think, man? Like, would Chandler be dumb to move on from this fight? I mean, I know it would cost them money, but to just kind of be sitting there like a bridesmaid, you know what I mean? It just, I don't know. This guy, you know, the clock doesn't stop ticking. He last fought in November. So right now, if they were to tell Chandler, you want to fight in July, he'd probably do it because it's seven weeks. That's the UFC 290 card. Maybe in August, it'd be uh, three months, but no McGregor. McGregor, again, has to go through a six-month testing period before he can even fight. So right right away, Chandler's looking at probably the end of the year. Probably not even November because that's Jones versus Miocic, so they say. So it's looking more like Vegas in December. And I could see McGregor headlining something like that. But still, man, what do you think about all this? This might be an unpopular opinion, but I might flip the script on Conor McGregor. I might just one day wake up and say, if I'm Michael Chandler, screw this clown. He doesn't want to fight. I'm moving on to real fighters or something like that. Mm -hmm. Make paychecks, because Michael Chandler probably makes some pretty decent paychecks. Mm -hmm. And hope that that slide is enough to either anger Conor McGregor enough to want to make this fight. Uh, because Conor, one thing he doesn't like is looking bad in people's eyes. And that might be enough. You know, that's why I think he he's constantly trying to get Khabib, you know, Khabib. Yeah. There's a good paycheck attached to it, but you know, Conor can make his own big paychecks with the way he promotes fights. He could do that just as easily with Michael Chandler. I would try and get under his skin, but if this fight doesn't happen, and it's just kind of weird to sit there and watch uh, Ultimate Fighter with them saying the same things that they're saying and and shoving each other and all that. Like it doesn't mean anything if you're not going to fight. Yeah, and guess what? Once Diaz fights Jake Paul, it's sounding more and more like he really wants to finish the trilogy. I know Dana White would want that, and at some point. Nate Diaz could cut that line as well. Right now, he's not worried about McGregor. He's got Jake Paul and a bigger bag uh, than whatever he makes stands to make from the UFC. Islam Makashev doesn't have an opponent just yet. Oliver has Benil Dariush. Poirier's got a win over Chandler. He's also got no opponent. Gaethje's got a win over Chandler. He's got no opponent. So you really can't call them out, I don't think. Fiziev, maybe. Fiziev uh, is out there. RDA is kind of out of the mix. You know, Grant Dawson, he's got Demir Ismagulov. Uh, Mark Madsen recently took a loss. Matias Gamrosi. I don't know if Chandler wants to fight some of these names that are not as popular as he is. Um, usually fighters don't want to do that, especially if they got McGregor dangling in front of you. But 
this show's going to kick off on May 30th. It's going to be on Tuesdays on ESPN. So it's going to be huge. But the other guy, just like I say, he's not even in the testing pool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he holds all the cards and he's holding Michael Chandler and the UFC hostage. Plus, you could just say it, just to say it, right? Right. Nah, this guy's a puss. He don't want to fight. Give me someone else. Just yeah. say it, even if you don't mean it, you know? I, I eat steak, not chicken. So give me give me a steak. <laughs> that would be pretty good. All right. So this week, by the way, as we turn the page, there's only one event. And after this event, we kind of get a week off. So let me tell you what's happening. And you can find this in the schedule tab at the top of our website, MMAJunkie.com. You see news and then schedule. Schedule gives you all the info about the upcoming events. It's called UFC Fight Night 224, Dern versus Hill. They're back at the Apex here in Las Vegas. So that happens May 20th. But May 27th, part of Memorial Day weekend, there's nothing. No Bellator, no UFC, no PFL. And uh, then they come back with Kai Car France against Amir Albazi. Again, back at the UFC Apex. That one will be on big ESPN. Um, and then PFL starts chiming in with the next three regular season matchups as well. So now it's probably a good time to maybe get away and enjoy. Uh, you know, you can still watch Dern versus Hill, Anthony Hernandez against Edmund Shabazian, Emily Ducate against Luffy Godinez, Joaquin Buckley against Andre Fial, Michael Johnson versus Diego Fajeda, uh, Carolina Kovacavich against Vanessa Demopoulos. So there's some good fights in here. Eler Latifi, I thought he retired. He's back. He's fighting Rodrigo Nascimento. Chase Hooper's back. All right. I hear you. We'll watch that. We'll cover it. We'll get to it. I'll be betting on it. Um, and that's about it. That's about it here from us over at the Junkie Radio side. Remember, you can catch us live on Mondays, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. You can watch Spinning Back Click. And, of course, if you miss it, you can go to YouTube.com forward slash MMA Junkie Video, and you can watch the show there. We just taped it about two hours ago, so it's still pretty fresh. I think you'll like it. Ourselves, Dan Tom, Danny Segura, that was this week's panel. I was the host. Um, and the Junkie Radio Show, as you all know, Mondays and Thursdays here on MMA Junkie. Ghost, any final thoughts before we cut out? Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there uh, who celebrated yesterday. Yeah, exactly. Um, I echo that. And, of course, our mom was here in Las Vegas with us, so we got to spend it with her. Anyway, all right, folks, we are out of here. We'll talk to you on Thursday. Go out and be a champion. <laughs>